What are your aggravating factors, Ria? <laughs> this is Intelligent Rebellion. Howdy, 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 folks. Welcome to the Intelligent Rebellion podcast. My name is Ria Mikado, and I am your host. Our guest today is Ajit Singh Lamba, a healthcare professional, a marathon runner, and owner of Physiotherapy Professionals Paramatta. Ajit talks about his work with clinical placement students. He shares some hard lessons learned after breaking some of his very own rules. And he talks about how the fresh mind of a student could unlock the secret to happiness. So let's get to it. This is Ajit Singh Lamba. Hey, Ajit, welcome to the Intelligent Rebellion podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for the invitation, Ria. You're most welcome. This is actually our second try at this. So if you could maybe just introduce yourself to the world, though, without telling us your exact profession. All righty, listeners. My name is Ajit Lamba. I am a professional. I've been working in my profession for a decade and a half now. <laughs> okay. How was that, Ria? That was good. And outside of being a professional, who are you? I guess I'm a lot of things. Oh, that's a hard one to describe without giving it up, eh? I guess I'm a human being. I like to believe I'm a good person mm-hmm. and I like to help people. And like most people that I speak to who are professionals, um, are there any particular story or event in your life that led you to doing what it is that you do now. You know, Ria, I am extremely boring when it comes to this. <laughs> um, I don't have any stories whatsoever. There was no such event, but literally just fell into it. E12 in Australia, it's a very confusing time for most students. You've got the marks for it, you just go for it. But, you know, maybe on a more subconscious level, the general industry, am I allowed to mention the general <laughs> yeah, industry? Yeah, let's give it away. <laughs> health. So it's the health industry. Other than being extremely confused in year 12 and not knowing what to do with my life, I guess in the background from my dad's side, most of his siblings are doctors. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was kind of ingrained into my brain subconsciously at some level as we grew up going into different clinics and, you know, blood pressure cuffs lying around in your bedrooms and medication, pill bottles all over the place. No amazing story of something happening. It's just ended up in this one particular profession. And look, I don't have a sexy story about how I ended up in healthcare either. My mom was an assistant in nursing. So I grew up a lot of my time inside a nursing home during school holidays. And so I watched my mom also help people and human beings. And I think it was just that natural gravitation towards that and that subconsciousness about it. Though, give it away, you are a physiotherapist. So you, so as an exercise physiologist, you and I should be the best of friends. I'm curious about, you mentioned you got the mark, so you're a bit of a smarty pants. Of all the things that you could have chosen and all the different healthcare professionals, because you mentioned your, your father and your family are doctors. Why do you think you went into physio and not primary health? To be very honest, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with <laughs> medicine or doctor, dentist. None. It's a very typical Asian thing. You choose one of the three professions. <laughs> doctors engineers or lawyers, lawyers that's it right so unfortunately migrant parents they these were the options given to you they weren't putting that much pressure on us me and my older brother to do these things mm-hmm. but they were just subconsciously 
plant the seeds in your brain like oh you know you know you're always gonna have a good job (laughs) (laughs) people are always gonna be unhealthy yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's well especially in today's day post-covid that's exactly how it is unfortunately what were you like as a student going back to high school very nerdy yeah, very logical, very sensible, probably not not the smartest kid on the block, but I, I reckon up till year 10, I wasn't the smartest kid. But year 11, year 12, I really put my bum on the seat and mm-hmm. studied really hard. I wasn't really aiming for physiotherapy or anything in particular. I was just trying to get yeah. maximum UAI and just take it from there, really, see what happens. What interested you, though, in that time as a 17, 18-year-old? Yeah, I really liked biology. That was by <laughs> far my favourite subject. I was just naturally drawn to biology and sciences, mm-hmm. not physics, though. Hated physics with a passion. <laughs> oh, God. But biology was a different story. The, the reason why I asked about you as a student is because the reason why I wanted to speak with you, Ajit, is because you take on students. And it seems like yes. to me your clinic takes on a lot of students. Yes. And you've got you've done the clinical placement as a physio. Mm-hmm. I had to do clinical placement. And I remember how difficult it was to find a good place to go and do yes. a practicum. I want to turn the conversation to, number one, how did you decide that mm-hmm. you wanted to take students on talk me through that process yeah uh Ria, in a way i see it as a service to the profession mm-hmm. like unfortunately i'm not sure if greedy is the right word as we get older we have more self-interest somebody's got to be out there to to guide these younger students to to teach these younger students somebody independent from the university mm-hmm. because what we are taught at the university level and what is happening in the real world are miles apart. It's A and Z. There's there's no middle ground. And I've heard just too many shocking stories of bad physios, if I can just be very specific to the profession. I'm sure (laughs) it... it, it, Bad EPs, I'll put it out there. (laughs) It's everywhere. In any health profession, I'm sure other industries as well, but more specifically in physiotherapy, Mm -hmm. what people are taught and what they see in the real world are two completely different things. And I guess on a more personal level, I had a really tough time as a physiotherapy student. So the first three years were absolutely fine, but the fourth year was just a mess going to placements. I didn't get it. And like you're doing everything, but there was no guide. The expectations of what you're supposed to be doing. And I I really struggled with it. I'm trying to give back. I'm trying to help other students and make... I guess, the physio profession a better place in a way. I hear you say that you struggled as a student mm. in those placements. What type of things did you struggle with and what type of feedback were you getting? And now how does that inform the way you teach students or the way yeah. that you interact with students in your place? Yes, yeah. So Ria, I did my physiotherapy degree in New Zealand, mm. just to throw a spanner in the works. <laughs> so I grew up in Sydney. Um, I did all my schooling in Sydney. For university, it was University of Otago in New Zealand. Back then, Australia and New Zealand have this trans-Tasman agreement. Aussies can go to New Zealand, Kiwis can come to Australia. There's no visa requirements. You're pretty much a local student there as well. Okay. And we're also eligible for a very similar hex-style scheme in New Zealand, mm-hmm. so you're not out of pocket by too much. I think these rules have changed now. So the first year was fine. It was just like going to you know, high school again, but at the university level. And then second and third year were your physio courses. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It was biology. It was applied science. It was stats. Good stuff. And then when it finally stats, came to... Stats, good yeah, stuff. I, I know, <laughs> right? I, 
I like numbers. I've always liked maths. I did extension one maths in high school as well. Second and third year of uni were very physio-related subjects. Mm -hmm. But when we got to fourth year, it was time to do practicals. And that was a bit of a mess for me. Like you had to now put everything together. You were given patience, but I don't know, maybe it was my personality back then. But right from the beginning, I just struggled. One more thing on top of that, you're now in a different city. So the first three years of your course were in Dunedin. Fourth year for placements, you get sent to different places. And I just struggled. So I had to take some time off and kind of figure myself out. I was still very keen to to graduate as a physiotherapist, but I just had to struggle a little bit extra to get to that point. And I guess that's where I've got this soft spot for students is to be that guide, that mentor for them, just to help them through the process. Mm -hmm. When it comes to my style of training or mentoring students, it's changed over the years. Yeah. Like initially you're out there, you're giving, 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 and you don't really get much back in return. Getting back in return means appreciation, for example, or seeing that the that the student's taking on board mm-hmm. what you're trying to tell them. Little things like that. Yeah. So now I'll give what they want. I'm here to be your guide. Ask me whatever you want. You've got five weeks with me. Um, I will share whatever you need to know, but you've got to ask the question. You've got to make the effort. I find it interesting that you said that you've gone from just giving, 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 giving. <laughs> to now waiting to be asked yes that just blew my mind like I just thought Mm. that's a really beautiful reframe and viewpoint of what clinical placement should be like I've done clinical placement in my time and I understand the frustration I wasn't a great clinical placement provider I was going to put it out there because I was (laughs) easily frustrated and I think, why don't you know this? Like you should know this. And then then you sort of forget that they are actually these 18, 19, 20 year old kids who are probably really far away from home. That's something that we have a lot of insight as we grow up, as you mentioned. So what are the things that your students in particular are asking you about? What do they, what do they want to know? So all the other clinical placement providers out there who are maybe telling, 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 let's do them a favor. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, students, Ria, are like a bunch of puppies. When they come into a place and they're so excited, like, you know, for the first time in their life, they're seeing real life problems and they're part of like a real functioning team. And they're seeing a guy who's, you know, had a fracture three Mm -hmm. or four weeks ago, or somebody who's just walked in with an acute back injury. So they're seeing real life patients. So they're really excited to be here, first of all. I still find they don't ask too many questions. Some of them will almost try to fake it, that we know Uh what we're talking about. But you can see right through it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. no, like, tell them, like, you don't have to pretend you know it. Just say mm-hmm. it. You're here to learn. Take on board as much as you can. Because we are in a private practice, what I do with my students now, I get their hands dirty day one. Like, yeah. Roll up your sleeves. If it's a private patient, I will do what I have to do. And then at the end, I'll get them to do a massage, for example. Mm-hmm. Patients don't mind. They love it. You know, extra yeah. time, extra massage. Physiotherapy, unfortunately, it's a dying art now. The universities are now focusing more on evidence-based treatment, which is all exercise-based. But the origins, no, <laughs> yes. Well, in a way, it is a good thing. But don't forget, the origins of physiotherapy mm-hmm. is hands-on treatment. There yeah. was a phase of time that we went through where we were doing electrotherapy for many years. Yeah. But I think for the past 10 or 15 years now, electrotherapy in most clinics is on the way out, specifically referring to ultrasounds and your TENS and interferential machine. 
Definitely there is a place for these machines. Patients aren't walking in anymore asking for, a, for an ultrasound anymore. Yeah. That used to be a, a time in history when people were doing that. Mm-hmm. We've gone past that now. Go, going back to the orig- origins of physiotherapy, it was hands-on and that's what I believe in as well. Yeah. So I try and get my students sort of involved in more hands-on things, more stretches and things like that. And at the moment, we're getting quite a few master's students. They've, they've got a very express course like a bachelor's course goes on for four years, but the master's program is two years. So they're cramming in a lot more knowledge in a much shorter amount of time. And I find they're the ones who struggle initially. So you, what you're saying is you've got students who have an undergrad, but then move on to be to do master's of physiotherapy. But what type of undergrad do they need to have to do those to do that master's of physiotherapy. I don't know how the master's works and someone's going to call me or email me or comment or just correct Ajit and I um, about this, that you don't really need a very specific undergrad to do a physiotherapy master's, like as long as it's health sciences. I don't know. I'm, I'm just tossing it out there. I would like to know. Honestly, if you're listening, I would like to know. Yes, I'm not um, sure myself, but yeah. unfortunately... But it's, more... it's, it's a fast course, so it's a fast-track course effectively. Two years, yeah. Just imagine your first year is all your physiotherapy knowledge given to you in a very fast-paced environment. Second year, you've got five or four, five-week placements. That's half your year gone in placements. Wow. So you've got literally a year and a half of theory that you have to learn. Two years, year and a half, two years, and you're working as a physiotherapist. That qualification comes with a lot of responsibilities. Yeah, and like, that's why I'm curious as to what the actual prerequisite to go and do that two-year master's because one would assume that you would have to need some very fundamental knowledge about that's right all the human things, yes. um, biology, psychology, social, I don't know, all the stuff that you need to know before you can just go in and do a two-year course. Do, do you think that there's a problem then? Do you think that that might not be the best way to bring physiotherapy students into, mm. the, into the world? Ria, there's a clear distinction between a bachelor student who's become a physiotherapist and a master student who's become a physiotherapist. Guess, guess which one is better? Well, you already I mean, know the answer. Yeah, I, know, I was going to say it's going to be the bachelor's student. Bachelor's, right? yeah. So the knowledge of a bachelor student is very deep. They understand anatomy. They understand the movement patterns. Whereas a master's student, it's a Zoom knowledge for them. Okay. So somebody might've done a degree in anatomy that person's okay. I'll give you a very simple example. You know, in physiotherapy, generally speaking, if somebody comes with a back pain problem, we do a couple of tests. If you do a flexion test, if you're flexing forward, uh, somebody might say, oh, if that's painful, mm-hmm. generally speaking, that might be a muscle-related issue. Or if somebody is bending backwards in extension, it might be more of a joint-type issue. Yeah. There's certain patterns that physios basic knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I just find the master students are just a bit unsure about these things. Whereas the bachelor student, they know, bang, that's like, oh, we did this a long time ago. They're very confident in their responses. They yeah. might both be fine after a couple of years, they end up in the same position. But just that pattern that I've noticed that the bachelors tend to be more confident, more knowledgeable compared to there's always exceptions to the rule. And and I think these are the types of things that people need to know. There's obviously a gap somewhere when you've got master students who traditionally in just society, you think, oh, they're going to be better students. They're master students, of course, the expectation there. So that kind of spun my head around. Yeah. I knew the answer to it, but it was a really irrational answer in my brain when I was trying to work it out. 
I mean, as someone who does take students both masters, bachelors, and you take a lot of students, yes. I mean, what would you ideally like for them to be able to walk in? What type of skill sets would you ask the university to make sure they have? What makes a good clinical placement student? Yeah, that's a very good question. I've actually never even thought about that. Priya, most health professionals, if there's the number one skill they need, it's communication. Mm-hmm. It's to be able to understand the patient's problem yeah. But unfortunately, what happens with most physiotherapists, especially the younger ones, yeah. they, uh, I guess their brains are full of different diagnoses and problems and what that they've learned about, and they're very quick to diagnose. Mm-hmm. Diagnosis is the last thing. I tell everyone, find a pattern. What are they doing which is making the pain worse? In fact, don't even worry about the pain. I'm assuming they're coming for pain. That's what most patients come in for to a physio yeah but that's kind of a symptom you go oh now it hurts now i've really done it now i need to go and see a physio yes exactly no no i i'm all for trying to fix it yourself first if it <laughs> hasn't worked then go and see professional help definitely yeah. but coming back to the our original question about what can students do to become better physios when they start working mm-hmm. i think it's communication spend as much time as you can trying to understand what is the main problem that this person's having? And then let's work on a diagnosis. There aren't too many things that can go wrong from the physiotherapy perspective. Either a muscle is tight or it's weak mm-hmm. or a joint is stiff or something is compressed, has to be decompressed. Yeah. So quite straightforward, I would say. In the healthcare system, we kind of need to have a diagnosis to get the help that we want. And, and so what are the types of things that you're maybe speaking with students about or what kind of tips or advice are you giving them when the communication style is tends to be lacking? I, I tell all students, like the more time you spend with patients, talking with them, touching them, moving them, your hands-on skills, your way of communication is going to improve. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of research on this subject, Ria. A physiotherapist will interrupt, I should say health professionals, love to interrupt their patients within a minute of the session starting. So the tip is to zip your mouth for three minutes, let them unload as much as possible, let them completely exhaust themselves. Mm-hmm. And when they do, that's when you start asking your questions. You and I may have read that same research article that came out to say that, yeah, a GP interrupts a patient within 13 seconds. Oh, wow. And (laughs) and interestingly, though, if the patient was able to just continue talking because the GP or the doctor had been quiet, they were only going to go to a maximum of about 45 seconds before they stopped. So three Mm. minutes is even still a very long time. Yes. Uh, for someone to be continually talking, though, yes. the interruption piece is always really difficult. So if you were to go back to the university and the clinical practitioner or the person who's developing the uni course, and you were able to embed one very specific module into that course, what would it be and how would you kind of design it or how would you do it? Wow. Yeah, that's a deep question, Ria. That's a very deep question. Look, I think there's never going to be Uh, a one-size-fits-all model. Mm -hmm. There's going to be uh, all health professionals. We need training in different aspects of of assessing a patient. But assessment is probably the number one tool. Students Mm -hmm. and university-level educators, they put majority of their attention to treatment. It is not the treatment that's important. It's actually the diagnosis and assessment 
of that particular patient that's come in. So yeah. that would be the, the first change, focus on your assessment. And I feel younger physios and students, they tend to get very nervous. I can't tell you how many students I've had over the past few years now, they wrap up the assessment within literally 60 seconds or two, three minutes maximum. Like I will be chatting to them for at least 10, 15 minutes. Of course, there's a difference in experience levels by yes. now, but they've missed out all these things. So rather than me giving them a subjective assessment, I get them to write down all the questions that you would like to ask a person. What type of questions are you actually seeing them write? I'm intrigued by that. It's going to, is it very diagnostic, very kind of interview based? What are your aggravating factors, Ria? I was surprised for you to say actually initial assessments, but I, I would have to definitely agree with you because that is the moment that you make or break the rest of your treatment program, that That's that right. very initial hello in compo or rehab, that that phone call. Yes. Because uh, yes. we cold call people effectively in workers' yep. comp. I mean, at least yep. they know that they're walking into your clinic. Yes. Um, if you were to, you know, with, with the students and yeah, what are your aggravating factors? <laughs> <laughs> What would, what would, you know what, let's play a game. What would be your first question? It's a very open-ended question. How can I help you today? Love it. Simple as that. How can I help you today? And then shut the fuck up and listen for 45 That's seconds. <laughs> as long as it takes, as long, let them talk. We're in Parramatta. Parramatta is a very professional suburbs, got a very young population living here. You've got a lot of IT professionals and finance professionals. They're busy people. They get straight to the point. Look, I've come to you because my elbow is hurting because I played cricket a couple of days ago mm -hmm. and it's just not going away. Tell me more. When did it start? How did it start? Has it happened before? So yeah. from that one sentence, I can now can just get all the details that I have to get. Yeah. And essentially, there's a reason behind every question I'm asking. I want to know, is it a chronic issue? Is mm -hmm. it an acute injury? Is it stopping them from working? What restrictions does this person have? I'm asking, I'm getting my aggravating factors, but I'm not, not directly asking. <laughs> asking them what's your aggravating factor. Look, I, I'm sure we're having a laugh at the moment, but I'm sure I was the same when I was we at that all level. Were. This is the funniest part. It's like That's we it. all were like this. Like we all I look back at some of the things that I wrote and some of the questionnaires that I've gone through, and I've literally like gone through the checklist word for word. But that's yeah. But when you're nervous and when you're a student, you need that guideline. You need mm. to, you need those prompters because you don't actually know what you need to know. And the nuance of what we do happens over time and with experience as well. Um, I do like to ask people though, is, are there any memorable, you don't need to name anybody, you don't name anybody, but are there any like memorable things that you've seen students do or any students that particularly stand out in your mind, either good, bad, mm. or ugly? Tell you what, uh, there was a while that we were getting students. So I've, I've played around with different universities okay. um, from different parts of New South Wales. Yeah. I never really answered your question how I got into the students. Like, yes, uh, it was a way of giving back to the profession. I'd taken a break from students because I had such a bad experience. We oh. had an admin who had come to Australia from the Netherlands. She was studying a master's of some sort or doing a placement in physiotherapy yeah. before going back to Europe. 
And before she left, she connected me with her university so we could get students from Europe to come to Australia. Ooh. And that was like, it was really great for them because they're finishing off their degree and having a holiday in Australia. Yeah. And I had this pair of students come in because at that time I was a sole practitioner. I didn't want two people coming, but mm -hmm. they insisted, oh, we want to come together. Like I am an introvert as a personality. I yeah. need time out. I and mean, we've got two people asking questions all the time. It's, it just gets a bit messy. Initially, I had them both at the clinic at the same time. And what would happen if a new patient comes in? I've gone at juice myself. But now you've got three people coming. And I just noticed like, oh, the patients are already sometimes a bit overwhelmed that they're going through this injury. They don't know what's going on. They don't know much about physiotherapy. And now you've got these three people trying to have a conversation COVID happened and they had to go back half of the placement. And I said, you know what, that was such an experience for me. I, I can't do this anymore. Number one, if I start taking students again, it's got to be a local student. Yeah. And number two, it's got to be one student only one. at a time, just yeah. one. Now we've got two physios, but I still stick with the same rule. Mm -hmm. Only one student. So they can move around a little bit, learn from the different therapists. Yeah. So yeah, that was a bit of an eye opener. Yeah, you always learn the hard way, right? I, I look at my career and I think, goodness me, I'm the same. I would have heard these stories, but I'm like, no, they'll be different for me. Yes. <laughs> and, it ne and it never is. And I think that's an, an interesting point to say that just your own energy levels and your personality, because not everybody can take students. Not everybody does. Why is that? I, I thought everyone does. Oh, actually, no. I've got I know, quite a few physio clinic owners and you're right. Not many of them do take students. Even EPs. I don't think there's any requirement to take students, though, to that point, should there be? I think, oh, look, there shouldn't be a requirement. It should be a, a business's personal choice if they want to take them on. I think a lot of clinic owners, especially physiotherapy, the ones I've spoken to, mm -hmm. they, they think uh, they're going to be a drain on the business yeah. by having them there. And okay. that's completely untrue. Well, let's I think, bust like that I myth. said, go earlier. ahead, bust yeah, that myth. absolutely. Like students are an extremely valuable resource. As we become experts in our own fields, unfortunately, we become a bit boring. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, you know the drill, you know what to ask. You'll sort the issue out very quickly. A younger person coming into your clinic, they're going to ask random questions. Mm -hmm. They're going to have the patients are going to have a very different conversation with the student. So with me, it'll be a very professional conversation. But with the student, it's going to be, how's uni life? Most of the patients finished uni a long time ago. Oh. Tell me about your master's program. When do you graduate? So it's a very, you're the, it's a tangent, but it's still communication. Yeah. Having small, small, small positive interactions on a daily basis is the secret for a long life and happiness. Okay. Let's imagine our patients, if it's a work cover patient, they have gone through hell mm -hmm. already. They don't know what's going on. They've been given these dramatic diagnoses from the specialist. Somebody's told them they need surgery done. Just imagine they've come to a physio. Number one, it's a bonus if the physio knows what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And now you've got a younger person having a fun chat with them. For that half hour, one hour, their mind is in a different and a positive place. So yeah. I think it's really important to bring in students. It's very rare to have a negative experience with a student. We don't ever want to see students as burdens, but you're right. People do see them as a burst, extra work that you need to do. So to flip it around and look at the, the side of, look, the, look at the value that they actually provide yes. to the clinic. And it's not going to be a skill set value. 
we know That's this. Right. They're students. How much time does this take you? Does it take you away from doing anything else? Or is it something that you're like, you know what? This is cool. I can deal with this. If you're not treating and you're spending that hour with somebody else, how do you balance the mission of healthcare and clinical placement with the margin of running a business? I don't think having a student in a placement affects the business that much, Ria. Okay. I don't think so. I mean, it, I guess it does come down to an individual businesses. If a practice is struggling because they can't block it an hour, you really need to look at your finances and how you structured your business. In fact, you need to block your time for admin work and emails and taking a break. I, I guess being the practice owner, I'm a bit lax. Lax in the sense that I make sure I'm overbooked and fully booked and I just manage because mm-hmm. you're just so used to it. But coming back to your early question, blocking out half hour session in your busy schedule should never have such an impact on your business that you're thinking like, oh, something's not right here. I'm going to start sort of moving on and and wrapping up. One of the questions that I start that I do ask somebody is what is it that you do that's only for you? that you do for fun fun okay i think being a business owner i don't know what the word fun means anymore <laughs> but i run a lot i I've, I've been running a lot since covid and mm-hmm. my goal this year is to the sydney marathon in september what time are you thinking i think four hours will be amazing it's my yeah. first marathon i can do a half in two yeah. so i need to just practice and uh, get my speed up a little bit more and you know what I'll, I'll be happy if I if I complete the marathon <laughs> you just make it across um, the finish line yeah but if it's four hours it will be it'll be perfect that's super cool that's super cool where do we find you Ajit plug your business plug yourself tell the world how amazing you are yes thank you Ria we are a local physiotherapy company in Parramatta Harris Park, if you know where the Indian restaurants are. (laughs) We specifically like working with complex injuries. Mm -hmm. If you've been given multiple diagnoses, you've been told you need surgery, you've changed doctors, you've been to four other physios, come to us. Mm -hmm. Let us sort your shit out. (laughs) Now, we have a special interest in motor vehicle accidents, CTP claims. So any complex injuries in Parramatta or wherever you are, give us a buzz. Do you want to throw your website out there? Yes, physioparramatta.com.au. Find us on Google. And you're in that cute little house, aren't you? We are. You haven't been here yet. You've got to come down sometime. (laughs) I should come down sometime. I'm not too far from you at all. Are there any final words? I think if there's any clinic owners listening to this podcast, take on students. I had to call around 10 or 15 different universities before one of them said, you know what? Yeah, let's send you a student. Let's just try it out. And I got to a point where I now had contacts with five or six different unis. I chose the one that I had the best relationship with. Like if you're willing to give up your time for the profession, there needs to be a mutual respect from the other party as well. But to all business owners out there, get in touch with the university, get a student on board. It really changes the dynamics of your profession and the clinic itself. Yeah, that's super cool. Ajit, thank you so much for coming on to the Intelligent Rebellion podcast. I appreciate you and I appreciate your time. So thank you. Thank you so much, Ria. The Intelligent Rebellion podcast is hosted by me, Ria Mikado. 
Wills is our executive producer, our emperor of sound, and the talent behind all our original music. The podcast is brought to you by Three Sticks Training and Development and Ria Mikado HQ. If you want to contribute your vision towards a better future, contact us at www.theintelligentrebellion.com.